Brother George, thank you. I saw your voice choke up a little bit, and I thought I better look for Kleenex. I see some down there if I need it. Um, we're going to be looking at some different verses through Proverbs this morning and share this message. And uh, But for our reading, uh, Proverbs 17, verse 6. I'm going to ask you to look that uh, in, up in the Scripture. Proverbs 17, verse 6. I read and then we jump into the message. May we stand in God's honor. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the ultimate example of a loving dad. And certainly, none of us who, Father, have uh, had this role of, of dad even pretend to measure up, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Uh, I pray this morning as we look at your word that you might minister to us, speak to us, and remind us, Father, that you love us right where we are. <clears throat> Guide us through this message. May we be drawn to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, it's interesting, probably one of the favorite passages of Scripture is Luke 15, the prodigal or the lost son. And there are many that talk about the fact that um, could easily be labeled the waiting, loving father as much as the lost prodigal son. There's no mention in that um, story by Jesus of mom focus on Dad and brother and son. It's interesting. Uh, his son said, you know, I, I want to live life the way I want to live it. I want my money now. I want to take off. I want to be independent. But when hard times fail because of bad decisions and he's eating that pig food, sitting there thinking about home, it's interesting. It comes to his mind. He thought, man, I wonder what it'd be like just to be a servant back home. Not, not to really be able to enjoy what I used to enjoy as a favored son, but just a servant. And he, it's got to be better than where I am now. And, and then he, he heads for home. And, you know, you get this picture so often as we think of dads, you know, you get the idea of a good dad's a strict dad and, and a good dad's a, a, a dad that's tough. And, and, and all that's part of being a dad. But the picture that I see in the prodigal son is a dad with a tender heart. Because it says that he's actually looking for his son and he sees him in the distance. So what does that tend to indicate? That he was looking for him. He was wanting him to come home. He was hoping that he would come and, and he was praying and, and, he, he was, and he was looking. Watching. A number of years ago, um, some dear friends of ours, uh, named, their name was the Lux. Now, what a name, Luck. Good luck, bad luck, any luck at all. But, uh, you know, as we were there a few years, you know, as the boys grow and you get to know them, and their son Cameron, I actually got to um, watch him kind of grow up, and he loved sports. And Ben was one of these dads, oh, my gracious, when it came to sports. He would have his, his boys go out in the yard, and they had to do these drills, you know. If it was basketball, you had to shoot 500 shots a day, you know. It was baseball. You had 
you know, 500 grounders, all this stuff. And that was just Ben, you know, he loved it. And he was that way with Cameron. I'd get out in the driveway and go over and play basketball with Cameron. Everything was good till he got about 14, shot up to about 6'2". Trouble came to me where I couldn't really play with him as he kept getting bigger and bigger and uh, growing up. And he also fell into some tough times. And, well, Cameron disappeared. He, he just ran away from home. Nobody knew what happened to him. And I can remember, oh, it was so tough. There were several of us, and we were over at the house. And I'll never forget Ben telling me. They lived near Richmond. And he said, you know, Todd, there are nights I, I can't sleep. And so I just jump in the car and I drive down the streets of Richmond. And I just think, I wonder if I'll find Cameron. And, you know, I just drive and I look. And, and, and you know, this, this went on for, I think, about a year. And then we, uh, at this, at, uh, we, we ended up receiving a call from him. They ended up asking me to be part of the ones doing his funeral as they found Cameron. A lot of tears. A lot of tears that came through that. Uh, a guy who spent many hours trying to perfect the great athlete. It was a father that had been watching and waiting for his son to return. And his heart was broken. You know, it's really hard to be a dad, isn't it, dads? It'd be nice to say, <clears throat> I know the right words to say, and I know what to do, but at least my experience has been that more often than not, I'm just hanging on. You know, as one guy said, um, you know, the guy that hangs on to a bull's tail learns a hundred times as much as the guy who doesn't. <laughs> and oftentimes when it comes to parenting, that's about how you feel as a dad, that you're hanging on to the tail of a bull and you're just... Just hanging on. Just hoping. As you learn. Um, there was a writer a few years ago, D.L. Stewart. And he would travel around the country and he would speak. And he had his 13-year-old son with him. And, and he gave a speech and, and he got all kinds of applause. And, and the audience obviously loved his words. And so as he's in the car with his 13-year-old son and he's headed home, his son says, Dad, you are so awesome. The way that you're always able to say the right thing. He says, I'm just amazed. And he said he choked up hearing this from his son. And, and all he could think of was to say, well, son, someday you'll be able to do that. <laughs> he said, but what I really wanted to say was this. Was that your father's not all he appears to be. and That being a man is frequently a facade. It's different for fathers than it is for mothers. Motherhood is honest, close to the surface. Mothers don't have to hide what they feel. They don't have to pretend. When there are sounds downstairs in the middle of the night, a mother's allowed to pull the covers over her head and hope they'll go away. A father's supposed to put on his slippers and robe and march boldly down the stairs, even if he's pretty sure it's the Manson family in the kitchen waiting for him. When the road signs are confusing and the scenery's looking awfully unfamiliar, it's perfectly okay for the mother to pull over to the side of the road and ask directions from the person who comes along. A father's supposed to know exactly where he's going, even if he has to drive 200 miles all the way to prove it. 
Isn't that, isn't that funny? Mothers always have the right to stop and ask, but fathers, mm, I know where I'm going. He'll drive right into the Atlantic Ocean. I planned this. I wanted us to see this part of the beach. <laughs> when the electricity goes out, no one questions a mother who simply lights a few candles and waits for a repairman, but everyone wonders about a father who doesn't pick up a screwdriver and head for the basement, even if he doesn't know his fuse box from a sump pump. Mothers can admit to the real estate agent they don't know a thing about fixed-rate interest and balloon payments and second mortgages. Fathers, however, are supposed to nod their heads and pretend it all makes sense. Mothers can bang the lid of a new jar of peanut butter on the floor until the lid's loose enough to open. Fathers are supposed to twist the lid off with their bare hands without getting red in the face. Mothers who lose their jobs are unfortunate. Fathers who lose their jobs are failures. When a mother gets hurt, she may want to swear, but she's only allowed to cry. When a father gets hurt, he may want to cry, but he's only allowed to swear. Well, maybe not, sure. Uh, I should have told my boy that the reason his father, like a lot of fathers, doesn't admit his weaknesses is because he's afraid someone will think he's not a real man. More important than what I should have said to him that night in the car is that someday when he's a father, he'll feel fear and self-doubt and pain and that it's all right, but my father never told me and I have not told my he goes on and closes. He says, uh, so dads, it's, it's all right. I, I have several jars at home I still can't get open. It's frightening when I lift the hood of my car to do anything but say, my, that's interesting. <clears throat> but hats off today to all the men who have endured childbirth without anesthesia. All the men who stayed awake throughout a piano recital. Hats off to all the men who placed the keys in the hands of a child with a brand new driver's license and then raced upstairs and plunged to your knees in prayer that somehow they'll find their way back. This is a day to say, if you have him on earth, thank you, Dad. But if you don't have him, to look up and say, thank you, Father. Thank you for a man who wasn't perfect, but he did invest some things in my life for which I am a better person. Proverbs 30.11 says there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. We live in a very cynical society. A lot of times on the sitcoms, the dad's the one who looks like he has no common sense and always does stupid things. A lot of times, uh, there's not a lot of attention given to dads and to fathers um, in movies and in other vital roles that, that are seen on screens. Um, sometimes they get a real negative publicity. And I'm not here. A lot of times on Father's Day, we have a tendency, man, we kind of hammer dads with, you're never home. Or we hammer dads with, you know, you don't know how to communicate and all that. And, and maybe there's certainly some truth to that, but that, that's not what I want to do this morning. Um. I want to say I'm grateful for dads. I want to be an encouragement um, to fathers in this message. Uh, um, I want to say thank you. I remember with my dad. My dad, uh, <clears throat> he he grew up in some hard times uh, when he was young. Was during the Great Depression, and uh, back in those days, I was born when Dad was 38. And back in those days, man, you didn't hear that happening too much. Uh, and um, he didn't, he was from that old school. He loved you, but he didn't tell you he loved you. And I can remember, as I became a Christian, I liked to tell people I loved them. 
I've, you know, I've got this, my best friend growing up, some of my friends say, you're a wacko, because usually when we get off the phone, I'll say, love you, man. Okay, right, right, Todd. But with my dad, I would, when I'd get off the phone with him, I would, um, I won't say every time, because you know how that goes, but most of the time, if I thought of it, I would say, I love you, dad. And he, he wouldn't say anything. We'd hang up. And I'll never forget, it was, I don't know, a couple of years before he died. I said, I love you, dad. He said, I love you, son. I still hadn't forgotten that. It moved me. I knew Dad loved me, but to hear him say that, um, powerful. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we're going to be going through Proverbs. As you look in Proverbs, um, 26 times fathers are mentioned. Never once are they mentioned negatively. Now, does that mean there aren't some negative things to say? Of course not. I think what it does mean is that God has a place of honor for fathers and that, and that he wants them um, to be a place that's uh, remembered, loved. That's why in our text, grandchildren are the crown of all men and um, the pride of the children. But that's God's intention. That's what he wants. We know that many times there's broken relationships, and many times that's not what we have. But God's intention, guys, is that there's this connection between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters, that there is this love and there is this understanding. And, you know, it's interesting is Solomon wrote me of these Proverbs and there could have been some negative stuff he said about his dad. Dad, you didn't do this right. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff he didn't do right. And, you know, we can go into all that even with a mom, right? That's not what he did. That's not what he said. So I, I just want to look at three areas here. I have on the outline just to look at areas where dad's... Um, fulfill that role, show their love. First is the area of provider. Uh, it says, houses and wealth, 1914. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So the picture here is that you have a dad who is a provider who is thinking about his children, and he's trying to put some money away for his child. You know, it's funny, I think of my dad. My dad, you know, everybody's... You know, poor or what? You know, go back to those stories. You know, walked home, walked to school, walked home five miles uphill both ways. You know, yeah, right. But uh, I remember Dad. He worked three jobs, and when he died, there was a little money left. There really wasn't much money. I mean, by the time he fed me and clothed me and tried to take care of me and make sure I was able to go to school and help me, there wasn't a whole lot left. He spent his energy and he spent his time for his family. And the scripture gives a command for a husband and for a father. You need to look at your family and you need to provide for them and you need to take care of them. That's why I think in the scripture it talks about a man that doesn't do that is considered worse than an infidel. Because it's such a such a, a important part of being a man is that you show your love by being responsible and by being a provider. Proverbs 13, 22 I should be turning Bible pages, so I'm trying to get better at that now. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Picture here is he's thinking about not only his children, but his grandchildren, and he's working toward that to pass something on. Second one here, the father's usually the one who 
establishes the parameters of a strong family. He's the discipliner. I love the story of uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, his buddy, um, Owen Winster, an old college friend, was visiting him at the White House, and uh, Roosevelt, President Roosevelt's daughter, Alice, kept interrupting and running back and forth, and Owen said, Mr. President, can't you do something about your daughter, Alice, so we can carry on this conversation? And his response was, I can do one of two things. I can be president of the United States or I can control Alice. I cannot possibly do both. (laughs) Being a dad is a tough job. It has its moments. And, And you know, I look at this and I think all of us are somewhat bound by our experience. And my experience, uh, dad worked three jobs. My mom was sick and she was on a lot of medications and slept a lot. And there was a lot of stuff. Um, there was nobody there, so I had to kind of figure it out. And I'm sure I really messed it up in, in trying to figure it out. But dad, he just wasn't there. He couldn't be there. But I knew that he loved me. It wasn't that kind of an issue that was going on. And so, um, when I think of my dad, it's not so much, you know, you're going to be grounded for the rest of your life (laughs) because you did this thing. Um, That wasn't my experience. But here's an example of my experience. Um, My best friend, Barry, uh, we came in one night. Dad was there. And we had been drinking. And uh, Dad just looked at us. He's quiet. He said, Boys, if I didn't know any better, I would think that you two had been drinking. But I know that you guys have more character than that. And he just turned and walked away. And I tell you what, guys, that seared deep in here. I think that did a lot more damage than anything else because I've never forgotten it. (laughs) Man, he had his warts. He had things he didn't do well and all that. But the thing about Dad that sticks in my mind so clearly is he was a man of character. What he said, he did. He might not have been able to be there at certain times, but I tell you what, he modeled what I call real manliness. It's not manliness that's depicted by big muscles, by big character. By being a person that you can count on being a person that you can trust. There's not many role models out there. It seems like we live in an age of instant gratification. You know, I want this, so I'm going to get it, and then I'll tell you about it after I enjoy it a while. And it seems like it's that way in so many areas of our lives. And it, you know, sadly enough, often the pursuit of instant gratification ends in lasting regret because that's not the way God's designed. And if you have a father in your life, if you had a dad in your life that modeled that, man, what a treasure that is. You know, what a way to be a discipliner. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Certainly there is a role to being strict, and certainly there's a role of following through. I get all that. That's very valuable. It's also very valuable to be who you claim to be, to model what you say. Great power there, guys. Third is the area of instructor. Um, Proverbs 6, verse 20. Go back a couple of chapters here. 
My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teachings. Um, for some of us who are already out of the home, think back to when you first went away from home. And, you know, whether you were in a dorm room or you had moved into an apartment and you're away from your family, chances are, after a while, there, there was a moment where you thought back about your family and you thought back about something you heard from your parents, <laughs> something your dad said, something that kind of seared its way into your mind and, and into your heart. A lot of times that stuff doesn't happen until you find yourself alone and thinking with some time. Chances are that instruction, that wisdom plays a role. You know, it's interesting as you go down to chapter 6 here, then it goes on into sexual misconduct. Um, I know in my Bible it says warning against adultery. Uh, you know, it says a harlot reduces a, a guy to a loaf of bread. <laughs> Picture of losing your self-respect. And, and what a blessing if you have a man who's able to just tell it straight. I read uh, just a month or two ago, it broke my heart. It said that there are 54,000 cases of sexually transmitted diseases every day in the United States. There is a cost that no one likes to talk about when we step out of God's boundaries, when we step out of his plan. There are broken lives that do this. And yeah, there's the instant gratification. And yeah, there's fun for a season. But there's a price to pay. And what a blessing when you have a man who's able to tell it straight. Not to humiliate you, but to privately come to you and say, Son, I love you. I want you to know there's a price if you go this way. If you go this road. If you follow this path, there's a price. And not only in the area of sex, anytime you lower your standards, stealing, manipulating, bullying, anytime you step out of God's plan, there's a price. You get hurt, you hurt other people, things are not as they're meant to be, and there's a price. Man, a great role. Um, a great role as an instructor to be able to teach those things. Turn me one verse out of Proverbs uh, is Ephesians 6, 4, and I'm almost at the end here. Um, It is a section of scripture that gives counsel for dads uh, with their children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Um, the term exasperate uh, has to do with boiling anger. Be careful that what you do doesn't create a distance between you and your child by setting them into a boiling anger. This happens sometimes by overprotection. You're not letting them branch out. You're not letting them be independent. You're, or, or favoritism. You know, it's clear that you favor one child over another one. Or just discouragement. Everything's always negative. You're always telling them what they're doing wrong and you're never building them up. Or by lifting up their failures and never letting them forget it. Those are the kind of things that exasperate. Those are the kind of things that tear down a child. And, and God calls a father not to do that. Um, but instead, to bring them up knowing that they're loved. To bring them up in the power of the word. And that comes um, in relationship. Not always being the teacher. 
but being someone who loved me. Remember the words of Barry Manlow's old song? Um, he says, We walked to the sea, just my father and me, and the dogs played around on the sand. Winter cold, cut the air, hanging still everywhere. Dressed in gray, did he say, hold my hand? I, I said, love's easier when it's far away. We sat and watched a distant light. We're two ships that pass in the night. We both smile and we say, it's all right. We're still here. It's just that we're out of sight. Like those ships that pass in the night. There's a boat on the line where the sea meets the sky. There's another that rides far behind. And it seems you and I are like strangers. A wide ways apart as we drift on through time. He said, it's harder now. We're far away. We only read you when you write. We're two ships that pass in the night. And we smile when we say it's all right. We're still here. It's just that we're out of sight. Man, that's sad when there's that disconnect. That happened at a time of boiling anger. Exasperation. Um, As I close, uh, there is power in a godly life. There is no substitute for a man who loves Jesus. There's no substitute for a man who lives for Jesus. For his child. There's no substitute. A couple of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 15, 20. Um, a wise son brings joy to his father. But a foolish man despises his mother. Jump over 23, 24. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. I love the way it says it in the Amplified. The righteous man walks in his integrity. Blessed, happy, fortunate, enviable are his children after him. Do you walk in integrity, guys? I'll never forget years ago hearing John Baxel say that his favorite definition of success is when the people who know you best respect you most. Success is when the people who know you best respect you most. Are you a man of integrity? Someday we will enter eternity and all that will be left will be a memory. What will be remembered about you? What will people say? Um, We will be remembered. I close with this from, uh, this is from Bruce Lockerbie's book, Father Love. He, He writes, When I was just 11 years old, our family drove from Toronto to eastern Ontario to the region north of the St. Lawrence River where my father had been born. We reached the little villages of Ventor and Spencerville just before midnight. The residents had long since gone to bed, but Dad needed directions to find the old homestead where we were to spend the night. Reluctantly, he stopped at a darkened house and knocked on the door. After several minutes of waiting, the yard light came on and an older man opened the door. I could hear my father apologizing for the inconvenience. And then he identified himself as the son of Pearson Lockerbie. My grandfather, dead for more than a score of years. Oh, come in, come in, said the old man. No trouble at all. 
We knew your father. That's the greatest legacy a man can leave his son. Let's pray. Father, what a goal, Lord. That one day my sons would be able to say to somebody, and do you know where this or that is? And say my name and say, I knew your dad <laughs> coming. Father, there is such a need for men who walk with the living God. Um, I, I just, my plea is that you would look inside each of our hearts that we might be such a man. And of course, the message goes to all of us. The truth is we all need Jesus, and we're all a mess, and there is a Savior waiting to hear the call, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you'd work. This time we call invitation. We bow our hearts before you, and as we stand and sing, may we let you speak to our hearts, and may we just obey whatever it is you call of us. And Lord, thank you for this time, and we... Just worship you, the living God. Move among us. In your name we pray.